0: You're listening to Reality San Francisco's weekly podcast. For more audio content or information, please visit us at realitysf.com. Good morning, everyone. It is an honor and joy to be with you. Please turn to the book of Proverbs. It's in the center of your Bible somewhere. Just go there and you'll find it. If you're new to the Bible... Um, you have a table of contents in the beginning that should help you out. And as you're going there, Proverbs chapter 23, I just want to let you guys know how deeply loved you are. I know that none of us really know each other, but um, our churches obviously are a family. And so all the way from LA, we think of you guys quite often as we assume you guys think of us quite often. Uh, we love you guys. We try to help whenever we possibly can. Just you guys try to help whenever you can. So you guys are well Loved, And then just for me personally, thinking about San Francisco and hearing everything that's going on and seeing everything and hearing the reports week in, week out, hearing about what happened at Easter, obviously something incredible is happening here and it's exciting. I hope you guys get that. I think you guys know how extraordinary this is. I think you guys get that. I think you guys own that and you know that. So, I'm just blessed to be here. I'm glad and just honored to be part of the family that is sort of part of that spearheading of extraordinary things happening in San Francisco. Anyway, it's a joy to me to be here. Proverbs chapter 23. Here's what I'd like to do I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to talk a little bit and do some sort of frameworking for the book of Proverbs, and then we're going to read our scripture. So, join with me now. Heavenly Father, we need to be able to slow down right now and make sure that our hearts are ready to receive from you and from you you alone. Lord, we understand that your word of God is living, it's powerful, it's sharp. Lord, we're thankful that it does what it does. It succeeds in its purpose of, of changing us, convicting us. And so I pray that that would happen this morning. Or that we would be prepared, we'd be ready, we'd be excited and willing to change, Lord. Whatever we may be holding on to, Lord, let us now nail it to the cross, knowing full well that you are God who intervenes. So we trust in you, Lord Jesus. We look to you. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So about the last, I believe, nine weeks or so, this church has been going through a series on the ancient book of Proverbs within the Old Testament. Now the problems are these timeless truths, these short pithy observations. They're admonitions, some are quick tales, and some even go to great lengths of severely warning us of the dangers if we do not apply their words to our life. And it's all of this and more within only 31 short chapters. So these short verses of long experiences break up the heavy, heavy flow, the heavy narrative of the Old Testament. They sit almost perfectly centered in the Old Testament of our Bibles, much like you'd think a toolkit would and needed construction. Now, if you've ever explored the Old Testament, you witness biblical saints and sinners alike making poor choices. So many of them not applying the truths of Proverbs to their life, to their situation, to their confusion. We see that these biblical signposts, these proverbs, are paving the way so that any reader who comes to them, willing and ready to change, can actually walk away transformed. These truths, when applied, tell us that the outcome is fruit. The outcome is one will prosper. When applied, the outcome is the good life. And not, again, not in a lottery ticket-type fashion, but a good life defined by Scripture, a life that leads to greater victories, a life that walks in paths of righteousness, a life that is full of wisdom. I love how Pastor Dave said it a few weeks ago, and he said it very poetically, that wisdom is not a path to the good life, but the path of wisdom is the good life. So in a lot of ways, this book truly is a guide. The Holy Spirit illuminates these God-breathed words and they light up our path. They are a lamp unto our feet. Which I believe is a very fitting illustration it's because to simply employ these verses of Proverbs, to apply these truths, is to walk. It is to move. These are countless verses where the book of Proverbs address a man or a woman's path. The book of Proverbs talks about their steps, their direction. Because again, to employ these verses is to choose the path that wisdom herself would take. Applied wisdom for every man, woman, and child is the choice at the fork, so to speak. So much of wisdom is about choice, but even more than that, it's about choosing rightly. So whether red or blue pills or or home-cooked meals or glorious Taco Bell or doors one or doors two, wisdom is about choice. Pure choices, obedient choices, action and decision. Choosing the path that leads to life and life more abundantly. Or as we've been saying, it's it's not to mislive. Simply it's greater than mere thought and theory. And again, as what has been said from this pulpit before, wisdom is knowing how. It's knowing why and it's knowing when. It's knowing how to act. It's knowing why you would say this or that. And when is the right time to say this or that, or do this or that? Which hopefully will be very tangible for today as we talk about families, talk about our family, our family experiences. So with that, let us explore our text for this morning. Read with me verse 22 of chapter 23. Verse 22 of chapter 23. Listen to your father who gave you life, and do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy the truth and do not sell it. Wisdom and instruction and insight as well. The father of a righteous child has great joy. The man who fathers a wise son rejoices in him. May your father and your mother rejoice. May she who gave you birth be joyful. Now, I don't know about you men, but I will never forget the first time I proposed to a woman. <laughs> this particular one, it was, I remember as it was yesterday, it was dark, she was crying, and she was distraught, and her, her face was, it was buried in her hands, and apparently I thought it was a good time to propose. So I walked over to her, and I put down my He-Man action figure, and I said, Mother, will you marry me? I'm pretty cute. (laughs) (laughs) I, I was about five or six at the time, and sadly, my stepfather, who was an evil, evil, abusive man, had just walked out on us. And I did the only thing a five-year-old, I guess, knows what to do in that moment is I proposed. I I tried to solve. I, as this five-year-old boy, tried to fix. And I really do believe in that moment my childhood passed away. It was in that moment. I, I, I really do remember as if it was just mere days ago. I learned heavy, heavy lessons that day about love, about support, about anger. And most importantly, I learned lessons about family. I learned about family. The value of family and the torment of family. The need for family and the avoidance of family. The greatness of family and the great pain of family. I think all of us on some level can relate to that. So hearing that, and for us today, where does your view of family line up with what I just described? Or even go a step further, Christians, what's next if you do view your family as pain and torment? How does wisdom operate within a family, a challenging family lifestyle? You see, whether or not, whether we like it or not, there is some, that is something we all have in common. Everyone here has a mother. Everyone here has a father. Everyone here has a grandmother and a grandfather. Now, I didn't say a present dad or mom. I didn't say a good dad or mom. I just mean you wouldn't exist unless you had them. We share the same bloodlines and genes, traits, and looks with people for now and and decades past. So whether we like it or not, we all do have family. But the idea for us, especially now more than ever, the idea of family goes beyond DNA. It's simply about care. Family's about care. It's about intimacy. Now, I know mentioning the word father or the word mother is bringing this sort of heavy cocktail of emotions in this room. For some saying, dad, just brings the good to your mind. You know, go along, son. <laughs> got it, dad. I love you. Like, we just... <laughs> Bring some of that. Maybe to think of your mother means to think of her brushing your hair at night and you remember her tenderness. But there are others in this room where you mention father and it's like mentioning a villain. There are others in this room who've never had that experience. And this can apply for siblings, uncles, grandmother, the wife, or even a child. It seems nothing can quite as sharpen or cut as family can. It definitely is a nerve. It's a button. And it's one of the largest parts of our existence in our formation that makes us who we are. Because again, whether we like it or not, we see things, we hear things, we do things, we believe things because of their influence within our life, good or bad. And knowing the gravity of that leads us to know the astronomical need for wisdom within those situations. Wisdom with those people. From child rearing, rearing to the, to the overbearing you know, mother-in-law, we need wisdom to apply. We need wisdom to practice and speak wisdom with those who are called family. Stephen Chabosky, the author of Perks of Being a Wallflower, said it really well regarding family. Everyone loves each other, but no one really likes each other. And I think to a lot of us, that is very true. There is a strong element of love versus like. And that's true of extended and for some of us, even immediate family. But because we desire health and goodness to exist within our family's life, and it's a good thing to desire that this would be healthy, this would be safe, because we desire to be able to let go, to grow, to forgive, to move on, or even to confront. Because of that, we're going to look at three things today. Today, we're going to talk about owning wisdom. Today, we're going to talk about how to endure the toil, and above all, love. Because our verses for today, it speaks of family, but even more specifically, it calls out the headship of the home. It calls out a mother and father. Yes, our verses speak of listening and not despising. It talks about what brings about great rejoicing. And it talks of the righteous. But if you look, sandwiched perfectly right in the middle of these verses, there is this this Oreo cream of sorts staring right at us. Right in the middle of our verses. Look at verse 23 again. Buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and insight. So a theme that we see over and over again in the book of Proverbs, is that it's just wisdom is sheer pricelessness. How truly its value is more than rubies, its worth is more than gold and silver. And here the author is charging us to buy it, buy wisdom, to acquire it. It's attainable, attainable but you better not sell it. Get it, but do not get rid of it. Buy and do not sell, child, loved one. What's interesting is there's no talk of price. It's just do. The author doesn't care about the price. Just buy this thing. And I think probably a lot of us can relate to that. I think there's times where we go shopping or we go to the store, whatever it may mean, and we go, ooh, I like this. We check the price tag and go, oh, heavens, no. No, then no. And we don't, I ain't buying that. It ain't worth it. But then... We see something, <gasps> no matter the price tag. The price can be higher than the heavens. We go, I'm going to own you. We immediately turn into Gollum, and this thing becomes our precious. <laughs> we see the price tag, but we have to have it, and we immediately even go, what can I Craigslist? What can I get rid of? What child do I have to sell to own this? <laughs> I was thinking, it's our, it's our Red Rider BB gun, or it's our Turbo doll. Anybody? Jingle all the way. Schwarzenegger's finest work. I'm unashamed. That is what truth, wisdom, instruction, and insight is to be to us, is what the author is saying. Something that we cannot live without. We are to buy it, and we are willing to part anything for it. The author is building the case that all sons and daughters the absolute worth of wisdom. And more specifically, that all of us need to see its significance as we grow and as we mature. Matthew Henry said this of buying wisdom. We must have it at any rate, whatever it costs us. We shall not repent the bargain. There will be no buyer's remorse Nobody here on their deathbed will go, I should not have been more wise. Nobody will do that. We will not have buyer's remorse when we put our life, our time, our finances, our perspiration in trying to achieve, learn, and study wisdom. We are to give all that we have for it because nothing in our life compares to it. King Solomon himself knew this firsthand. 2 Chronicles shows us the history of Solomon's answer to the Lord's request. I'll read the verses to you. In verse 7 it says that God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask, what should I give you? Can we just slow down for a minute? Imagine this. The God of heavens and earth, stars and cows and octopus and rocks and Yosemite, God of human beings comes to you and says, What do you want? Ah, could you imagine? For me, it would have been, dear God, I would like Wolverine claws. I would like a Tesla. I would like to have the voice of Adele. I love you. Amen. (laughs) But what does Solomon ask for? Let me read you the verses. And Solomon said to God, you have shown me great and faithful love to my father David, and you have made me king in this place. Lord God, let your promise to my father David now come true. For you have made me king over people as numerous as the dust of the earth. Now grant me wisdom and knowledge so that I may lead your people. For who can judge this great people people of yours? And then God's response, God said to Solomon, since since this was in your heart and you have not requested riches and wealth or glory or Wolverine claws or the life of those who hate you and you have not even requested long life, but you have requested for yourself wisdom and knowledge that you, might, you may judge my people over whom I have made you king. And then God says, wisdom and knowledge are given to you. Solomon clearly knew the weight and the gold of wisdom and understanding. So before we can practice wisdom, we have to desire the beauty of Wisdom. Because to buy means to own. To buy wisdom, in this metaphor what the author is getting at, it means to own this. It means to invest into this. It means to treasure wisdom. We have to realize in this life that wisdom, in a lot of ways, is goal itself. Not what wisdom can give us. Wisdom is the goal itself. Proverbs 23, 23 is exposing that wisdom, again, is worth all that you have. Do you, do we, desire wisdom? And is it, is a fruit of that? Is the proof in the pudding with how you live your life? Is that a prayer request of ours? Is it sought after? Do we desire to grow in understanding? Do we put ourselves in such a position where we say, I need to learn? I need to grow. Do we long for wisdom? There's a story And forgive me if it's been told from this pulpit before, but I'm going to say it again anyway. There's a story about a young man who went to the great philosopher Socrates. And he walked up to him. And he says, Oh great Socrates, I come to you for wisdom. I'm here to learn wisdom. And in response, Socrates led him through the streets. And then he brought him to the seashore. And then he went into the ocean. It's about chest deep. And Socrates goes, Oh. Again, what were you asking for? And a young man, bright eyed, goes, Wisdom. Socrates took the top of his head and he pushed him underwater for 30 seconds. The man came back up. What it is you wanted again? Socrates said. Oh, wisdom, dear sir. Pushed him back under the water. This time 45 seconds. This time for a minute. And he came home over time and he goes, What is it you want? And he goes, I want air. For the love of God, I want air. And then Socrates responded with, When you desire wisdom as you have just desired air, then you will have it. That's an intense lesson. For for God, all he says, all you have to do is ask. Like, for God. (laughs) But you get the point of the illustration. Do we desire wisdom like we desire the air we breathe? And do we desire it enough that we would sacrifice for it? Because what are good things and titles and what good is reputation and figures if we lack wisdom? Especially with family? We need to be walking in wisdom because, by definition, sincerity and vulner- vulnerability, intimacy, and openness should exist within family. Because of that, there's a high need for wisdom. So much of healthy intimacy comes from a healthy use of wisdom. When you get to the nitty gritty, whether in child or dealing with out of line stepdads, there will be opposition. Where there is intimacy, where there's vulnerability, there will be opposition. So parents, we must expect this. Brother, sister, we must expect this. Crazy Uncle Bob, we must expect this. There will be toil. Christians, I, I pray that we be not naive to think that every Christian family should be just buckets of daisies and marshmallows. Like, that's not it. And if we need proof of that, we need to look no further than the Bible, which is in our hands as we speak and as we sit. Think about it for a moment. Someone show me a healthy family in the Bible. It's rare. The families in the Bible make the Simpsons and the Lannisters look like saints <laughs> compared to those within Scripture. Just to name a couple. The first recorded husband and wife disobey God over a fruit basket... Their firstborn commits the first murder. If you remember, I know you guys went through Genesis, the whole Sarah thing where she couldn't have a baby, so she encourages her husband to sleep around. Isaac and Rebecca play favorites with their twins, which caused one of the biggest rivalries, sibling rivalries in human history. There's birthrights being sold for soup. And and if you know anything about what Lot's daughters did to their dad, it's disgusting. It's disgusting. So all that to say, that's just in Genesis alone that the Bible is filled with sinfully dysfunctional families. So if we have a hard time at bath time, parents, or we hate Thanksgiving holiday, you're in good company. So did they. There's no such thing as a perfect, harmonious family. There's no such thing as a perfect, harmonious family. Parents, be freed from making perfection the enemy of good. Be freed from making perfection the enemy of good within your home. Sons and daughters be freed from working towards affection. There is no such thing as a harmonious family. Why? Because there is no such thing as a harmonious person. All have sinned and fallen short. So when we put a group of sinners together in a home or in life's close quarters sharing possessions and the most intimate parts of parts of life having different personalities and interests it becomes a living breathing animal house so what i like about right now is here's where we can get a bit practical because truly what does walking in wisdom's path look like in the desert called toil or difficulty family isn't going anywhere So how do we endure the toil? How do we persevere persevere through the difficult? And ultimately for our point today, how does practical wisdom play out? Because we could say, apply wisdom. And I can preach all day and get wise, wisdom yourself. Like we could do that all day. But when push comes to shove, what are tangible wise steps for enduring? Again, essentially what our verses are saying is, is what is truth? Wisdom, instruction, and of course, understanding. What is insight? So I've compiled a short list of wise reminders that I have needed so badly over the years. And I've had other people speak into this list. And this could be applied to parents and uncles, sister, mom, dad, whatever, wife. So I want to go through this list of 10 wise reminders of enduring the toil of family. Number one, and more often than not, we need to remember that family is the first, middle, and last place for the greatest pain and futility within our life. Thus, we need to see that as the primary place of learning. Growing, testing, proving, feeling. We want to grow. It's in time of peace or in time of war. We'll learn the most with the toil of our home and intimate vulnerability. Number two, let us be mindful, if we are dealing with difficulty, how we are defining difficulty. How are we defining difficulty? How do we look at this toil? Is someone basically doing something that we don't want? Or how do we define difficulty? Number three would be, Something that I believe probably a lot of us have heard over time, but hurt people hurt people. So if someone is acting out within our home or in our lifestyle that we consider family, and he's the bringer, he or she is the bringer of heartache, more often than not, someone has or is doing harm to them. Number four, what is your desired outcome within that circumstance or that situation? What is your desired outcome? Is it for us or for you not to be inconvenienced? Or is it to suffer well with them? Is it to 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 reflect Christ? Number five, let us not be fooled, guys. Boundaries and compassion can coexist. Boundaries and compassion can coexist with every single family member. We need limits. Family or not. Number six, in the situation at hand, what role do you take on? Are you mindful of your role? Essentially, are you servant or are you trying to be savior? Are you steward or are you trying to be savior? We cannot be their savior. Number seven, we will only truly comfort out of the comfort that we have been shown. So I want to encourage everybody, enduring toil, facing issues that must be faced. We need to be just prostrated before the Lord, on our knees before the Lord. To face healthy means that we need to be near to Jesus. Number eight, let us have the mind shift from how do I deal with them to how do I love them? How do I just deal with this person to how do I love them? It's something so elementary, but the minute we start thinking that, saying that, doing that, it radically changes our entire view of them, our perspective of them. Number nine, we need to check ourselves before we wreck ourselves. <laughs> I think that's a verse somewhere in the Bible. <laughs> Essentially, is there any truth to what they're saying about us? It's the old examine of zero log in my own eye. They could be coming up and saying the worst thing possible to you in the worst way possible. We need to go, is there any truth to this? Is there any truth to what they're saying? Can I grow? And ultimately, our job is not to fix our family. Our responsibility is to love our family with a love that has been shown to us. A love that sees pain, acknowledges difficulty, but it loves it unconditionally. Now, is this, the, is this the list to rule them all? Far from it. Will remembering some of these wisdom steps save every relationship within our family? Probably not, maybe. But will our hearts be more at rest? Will boundaries and limits be protected? And will the Lord be honored and glorified? Yes and amen. Listen and look at verse 22. Listen to your father who gave you life, and do not despise your mother when she is old. So to understand this, to explore this, that this is a call to action to those who care for you. We are to listen, even when it's annoying. We are to listen even when we think we know best. We are to not despise those who have poured into us, to forget all that they have done. And verse 23 goes, Buy the wisdom and do not sell it, wisdom and instruction and insight as well. In the verse 24 The father of a righteous child has great joy. A man who fathers a wise son rejoices in him. Fathers in this room, men who will soon be fathers, can we just see the gravity and gratitude of sharing the same title with our heavenly father? That is not something to be messed around with. That is not something to screw around with. That's a big deal. God gives the mandates to parents, but especially to fathers, to take primary responsibility for the building of biblical truth into the lives of their children with a goal of preserving confidence and hope and faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 25. May your father and your mother rejoice. May she who gave you birth be joyful. Simply may we be a generation that makes wise choices. Virtues over vices. That we can bring joy to all. Especially those who poured into us. May people see what we do and the choices we make. And see that and glorify our father in heaven. May they know that our wisdom that we have is heavenly wisdom. From above. James 3. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure. Then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Church, may it start with us. Individuals, may it start with you. May it start with me. May this church here in the Castro District and San Francisco be a godly church, known for godly wisdom. May we be open to correction constantly. May we listen to both older and younger. Allow humility and teachability be the banner that we wave. May we study the word of God, feed on it, desire it, set apart serious amounts of time for it. May we listen, then listen some more, then listen some more. May we desire wisdom like we desire our own breath. May we ask for wisdom by calling on the name of the Lord constantly. And above all, may we never separate wisdom from love. For what good is right choices if you have not love? What good is healthy family relationships if we have not love? What good is wisdom if we do not love those who we are trying to be wise with? Before we think about doing anything with our family, confronting them, talking to them, applying wisdom, may we check and examine and re-examine, do I love this person? Do I love them? To love means to count someone else's needs their interests as more important than our own needs, interests, or comforts. Imagine for a moment if every relationship we had had Philippians 2 as our motto. To do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Parents thinking this way about their children. Older parents thinking this way about their older children. Children thinking this way about their parents. Sister with brother and brother with sister. This would radically change the way anyone interacted and we interacted with or for. Anybody in our family, any relationship we have would be radically made new. C.S. Lewis himself said these words, love is unselfishly Choosing for another's highest good. What is wisdom without love? It's quite a challenging thought. Something my flesh and my own strength fails in quite often. When I think of my own father and how he has failed me numerous times and even to this day continues to fail me of what you would think a biblical father should do. I fail quite often in revealing showing Christ like love to him. I let my emotions and my vices get the better of me. So yes, I need wisdom with him or my family. But the more excellent way Paul the apostle says is love. The more excellent way is love. For you see, may we do this, may we love, may we pursue not merely for the sake of an easier holiday or a healthy relationship, but may we love and may we overflow with love that has been shown to us. Like a reservoir filled, splashing onto its shore. Not a dry bed trying to water the parched around it. We can only show true love by the love that has been shown to us by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Please see that none of this is a call to muster up and do. I'm not begging you to do something. But a motivation to live out of what already has been done. First John 4 says this, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his own, one and only son into the world that we might live through him. What has to be, and I would hope is, one of the most glorious things to anybody in this room who has struggled with family, for anyone who has had fresh tears in their eyes thinking about the toil of family, If father wound or family wound roams free within our thoughts and our heart, just the idea and the glorious, hope-filled knowledge that our Heavenly Father is nothing like that. There is many things He is called within Scripture. But the most dearest role, title, and name He has is Father. He is Father. He desires to be your Father. He is present. He is love. He is care. His mercies are new every morning. He promises help. He promises a shield. And all of that is manifested in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is proof of his great love. Because of Jesus, we can call out, Abba, Father. Jesus died to bring us to God, our Father. Because of Jesus and his humiliating work on the cross, we have been made brothers and sisters. If you're here today and you don't have any family or you hate your family your family's hurt you and you just heard this entire sermon on family know this if you believe on the Lord Jesus you are adopted into the family. One of the I love it one of the sweetest moments in the gospel is in Mark 10 And, and if you know anything about the apostle Peter he's doing his thing and he's chatting a lot and he's putting the foot in his mouth probably and Peter's going off And Peter says to Jesus, we have nothing, Jesus, in Mark 10. Because we have nothing. We have given up everything for you. And he's talking about family and money. We have nothing. And I love that Jesus looks right at him and he softly reminds him and reminds anybody else about the gospel and what the gospel does. And he says this to him. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, No one who has left home, brothers or sister or mother or father, children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mother, children and fields. It's With Jesus and Jesus alone. Again, if you are here and you have not yet believed on Jesus, now is the time. Wisdom does not promise security. Loving those around us does not promise freedom. Us working harder does not gain approval. It is only by the gospel of Jesus Christ. For those still paralyzed by the past and fearful of the future, look to Jesus. He does not promise a less troubled life. He does not promise a less troubled family life. He promises a less troubled heart. This is not something that we work towards. This is not an invitation to be religious. This is Christianity, this is Jesus. Amazing love, how can it be that my God should die for me? Amen? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, first and foremost, we are grateful as children that we can call you that. That there's, there's this expectation because of what Jesus Christ has done that we can run in and sit on your lap and speak to you as we speak to someone who's so close. As we speak to someone who's so near. Thank you that any static that was in the way, any veil blocking us from you was torn down. Thank you that out of everything, out of a judge, out of a teacher, out of any title possibly we see in Scripture, what you love the most is the title Father. And you, you crave that right now, God. We, we know that you do for everybody within this room. Lord, if there is any hurt within this room, Lord, I pray right now a blessing over them and an assurance that in you there is great peace and in you there is life. Lord, we're thankful that you do promise life and life more abundant. So I pray for our time of response. Lord, may it be fruitful. May we not push off another day. And right now, may we look to you in a call upon your name. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.